0: You, if you ask a stupid question, you get a stupid answer,
1: really. <laughs> These are steps we all must take to protect Scotland. The people of Scotland will not be disrespected by this parliament. Mr Speaker. Scottish Politics Explained, a podcast by After Record and hosted by me. Here is Faza. Good morning, folks, and welcome to a new episode of Scottish Politics Explained, a podcast which wants to make Scottish politics more accessible and easy to understand. I am Iris Paze, your host, and today I'm going to talk to you about devolution, which, for those of you who are not familiar with the term, consists in the exact contrary of the of power. So, according to the Scottish Parliament's website devolution is a system of government which allows decisions to be made at a more local level. It regards a range of different areas or matters, to be more precise, and these include also health, for example, which is the reason why devolution has increasingly been talked about in the past year. So to explore this system a little further, I'm here today with Rachel Mackie, who is a journalist at The Scotsman. Hi Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you today?
0: I'm very good,
1: thank you. How are you? <laughs> good, good. So, as I mentioned in the introduction, we are going to talk about everything devolution. Could you explain to me what devolution is and what it entails?
0: So, devolution is the movement of power from the UK Parliament to, you know, in this case, the Scottish Parliament or the Welsh Assembly or the Northern Irish So a devolved power would be something that the Scottish Parliament has control over and doesn't refer to the UK Parliament on it. So public health, education, the law, our justice system, transport, environment, these are all things that are controlled by the Scottish Government and they introduce policy on without having to refer to the UK. The UK Parliament will have what's called a reserved power, And a reserve power is something that the UK holds on to. So immigration, asylum, foreign policy, trade, like big things, is controlled by the UK Parliament. So that's what the difference is.
1: Are there any matters that are kind of shared between the two?
0: Well, there are some that like, there's slightly blurred lines like tax. Tax is technically devolved to the Scottish Parliament, the income tax was devolved like 2016 so super recently but um it kind of you know hit the news not that long ago when Scottish parliament said oh we want to give 500 pounds to nhs workers to say thank you for covid and then had to ask the uk government to try and take a certain type of tax off it because when scottish government tax it goes through the uk parliament then back to the scottish parliament and it's all really confusing <laughs> So like there are things which perhaps aren't quite as simple as you know oh this is just something that Scotland can do without any reference. It always will be influenced by what the UK Parliament does and you know what the UK Parliament expects and how it was set up in the first place you know. The evolution was set up after a referendum and allowed by the UK Parliament. So there are certain kind of fingerprints all over it
1: yeah i mean especially because i think once you have devolved matters you also have to probably report on what you're doing about those matters because you're still not an independent state so you're part of a union so you mentioned when this system kind of came about could you expand a bit more on the history behind the introduction of devolution
0: it's, it's a long history <laughs> the act of unions so the joining of scotland and england's parliament was like his 1707 She says confidently (laughs) and like, you know, quite a controversial decision. This sort of narrative that we have now of like, oh, Scotland need to stop talking about devolution and independence. Scotland have always talked about devolution and independence since it became an issue. (sighs) Throughout the years, I think like 1800 and something There was an act passed through to try and, you know, create more sort of Scottish-led rules. There was an independence referendum, I think, in the 70s, which did not go through. And then in 1997, there was a referendum, which did go through that said that Scotland should have its own parliament and that certain powers should be devolved to Scotland so that it can, you know, target Scottish people and ensure that kind of funding or whatever goes where it needs to go. So the parliament first sat in 99, I think, the new parliament was then built, 2004, it opened and over the course of time there are more powers being devolved, like I said, you know, 2016 was as recent that we got income tax, so it's a kind of, it's always been the sort of ongoing thing this ongoing discussion about how much power should the Scottish Parliament hold and how much power should the UK Parliament hold. And this becomes a lot clearer, especially when the UK Parliament have the Conservatives in, which is a real ideological clash with the SNP, who are currently in charge. And the more that ideological clash becomes apparent, the more people raise questions of, well, shouldn't we be able to control our trade or our immigration or our asylum rules or whatever.
1: And how can we see the effects of devolution? What are the changes that it makes in our daily lives?
0: Well, so, you know, I think the big ones were always the big three, I think, that really affect people are education, health, And the law, they're kind of the main one, like no one gets on a train and thinks, oh, you know, I wish this train was run by, you know, a UK company rather than ScotRail or whatever. So, you know, when you're at school, your curriculum, the exams that you take, you know, how they're marked, how they're graded during coronavirus, you know, how children were going to get their exams, that was all devolved to, you know, the Scottish Parliament and specifically to John Swinney, the Education Secretary, um... So that's such a huge chunk of our lives, which is completely down to the Scottish Parliament, you know, the NHS, every time you're waiting in an a and every time you're getting a doctor's appointment, you know, this is stuff that the Scottish Parliament control um, and is separate from UK. So again, that can really colour your view of how good it is because you don't really have a comparison either, do you? You know, you can't be like, oh, I had to wait two hours in A&E in Edinburgh, but I would have had to wait four in London. Like, you don't have that comparison. Both things, I think, are really experience-driven um, and can really kind of form and shape so much of your political views, you know, your experience with everyday things like schools and doctors. Um, and then the law. If you've ever done jury service, you know that in Scotland we have juries of 15 people, not 12, you know, We have sheriff courts, we don't have magistrate courts. The Scottish Parliament can pass laws. We've just had the hate crime bill. We've got the domestic violence bill that went through. Um, Scots law is its own entity. So, you know, if you are arrested, then that will become quite a big distinction for you. What's legal and what's not in this country is not quite the same as what's legal and what's not in other parts of the UK. So I think those are the three big ones. They're the three that, like, whether people know they're devolved or not, are going to be the biggest drivers of how you think, you know, your society is governed.
1: Do you think that attitudes towards devolution have been changed by the pandemic and the handling of it?
0: I, I do, yeah, I do. Um, I mean, I, I think... Polling really shows the rise in support of Nicola Sturgeon, the rise in support of independence at the SNP has really shown. I think I think a lot of it was for the very first time, you know, saying, like, we didn't have direct comparisons to the other things. Now we did. Now we could see, you know, Nicola Sturgeon standing up saying what Scotland was going to do and Boris Johnson standing up and saying what the UK was going to do. So I think for the first time, people were able to see side by side, you know, what the Scottish government were doing and what the UK government were doing and the moments where they sort of clashed and the moments where they were, you know, on the same side. And people were able to say, oh, well, you know, maybe I didn't realise public health was devolved before, but now, now I do know and now I can... I can see it in practice. I, you know, I'll come out and say I'm a big fan of devolution generally. I think, I mean, I think councils should have more power. I think the closer people are to power, the better and fairer society is. So, and I think people really felt that. I think that they felt they were a bit closer to the people making the decisions that, you know, were, were killing everyone. It was a pandemic. People were dying. People were getting sick. People were locked inside and terrified. And I think people feeling some sort of relationship or some sort of closeness with the people making the decisions help.
1: I believe Scotland is a really great example for what you say in terms of having power as close as possible to people. First of all, because it's a small country, so it's fairly easy to do. Well at least like compared to other countries, but also because by the power being closer to people, it's easier for activists to get involved with politicians and kind of like bring forward human rights issues, for example. I mean, think of the Free Period Products Bill. That was a great example of this dynamic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And a great example of what, you know, the Scottish Parliament is capable of doing, the type of difference that they're capable of making. Um, And, you know, another great example is when students protested the SQA predicted exam results when they couldn't take their exams. It was, you know, a bit of a monumental mistake by the Scottish Government to... But, you know, they admitted they were wrong and they changed it. And now we have a generation of sort of young people coming up who can say, oh, OK, so I can protest something and it makes a difference. You know, I can go directly to Parliament, which isn't that far away from me, and I can make a difference. And that's a really powerful message, I think, for young people to get involved in democracy and to, you know, have their voice heard. And as much as, you know, the mistake was made, it was rectified. And I think a really powerful lesson came from it.
1: Yeah, I mean, of course, it's bad that the mistake was made in the first place. But I respect the fact that they were quick to fix it and listen to young people speaking up. I think it's a very important message, as you said. And even politicians are human If So at some point down the line, they'll make some mistakes. That's guaranteed. But I think the difference lies in the way that they solve problems and in the way they admit their mistakes. So so kind of wrapping up, is there anything I haven't asked you that you'd like to add?
0: I don't think so. I suppose, like, there's, especially maybe older SMPs, there's a really big nationalistic element Um to how much devolution we should have or how much obviously independence we should have. And I think devolution, understanding it and looking at it should be how you make that decision. You know, it shouldn't be that you are ginger and you eat haggis or you wear tartan. You know, like independence should be based on how you've seen devolution work and whether you believe it can work and create the society that, you know, you want to see. And that can be different for everyone. So I think, you know, understanding devolution and working out where it has succeeded or where you don't think it's succeeded is a really good starting point to decide whether you want Scotland to be independent or not, Um, rather than, like, nationalistic rhetoric, possibly on both sides, you know? People who want to stay in the union because it's the union is just as, you know nationalistic and not based on fact as wanting Scotland to be independence because you saw Braveheart when you were a kid like neither is a particularly healthy approach to politics you know Scotland's still going to be on the same island as everyone else if it gets independence we're not sawing the border and floating away to Norway we're still going to be here the history will still exist you just have to decide whether you know, you want to increase devolution or decrease it, I think, is a healthy way to look at it. So if anyone listens to this and starts tweeting at me something about, like, saltire <laughs> flags, I'm just not going to respond.
1: Thank you so much for this lovely chat, Rachel. It's been very insightful and surely a good starting point to get to know more about the issue. So again, thank you for coming on the podcast.
0: No problem. Thank you for asking me. <laughs>
1: This was episode number five of Scottish Politics Explained. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share. And if you'd like to comment on the podcast yourself, you can contact me or After Record. Thank you all so much for listening. Until next week, have a great weekend.